Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambutasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambutasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambutasa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tauraya Sodavanta so this evening is our last uh, evening reflection. I don't like to call them talks because what I'm trying to do is is reflect to point, not to inform and teach you anything, but encourage. In this path, it's, uh, we need encouragement because we, it's easy to delude ourselves, easily delude ourselves through our thinking process and by thinking about it and our ability to meditate or have we gotten anywhere, or haven't gotten anywhere, or is this useful or not? <clears throat> some some people disrobe because they haven't gotten anywhere. <laughs> After so many years of trying to get somewhere. So why that? You know, this is that's the thinking mind, isn't it? Now, I am somebody who should have gotten somewhere, or didn't get anywhere, <laughs> and uh, and then you look at that in the present. What is that? It's it's a sankara, <clears throat> and a sankara is. And what is it that knows a sankara is? Bhuto is awareness. Trust that awareness. That's what that's the path, really. Whether you've you've developed samadhi, whether you're a good meditator, whether you you feel you've gotten somewhere, or you're not getting anywhere, or doubts about Buddhism or about the teacher or about the monastery, these are all Conditioned phenomena, and and the Buddha was his teaching is to know conditioned phenomena, not believe in it and attach to it. So this is what sati sampatanya panya is is the ability to know things as they are. <clears throat> so in the three refuges in Buddha Nama Sangha, it's it's. Uh, this is taking refuge in in this in Bhutto, in the the awareness, awakened consciousness. It's just a simple paying attention. And then the Buddha points out how we're conditioned to grasp, you know, strong views and and perceptions. 
that's part of, that's the avicca, the ignorance of Dhamma, then that's what we do. We just grasp various um, re religious views, political views, social views, social identities. And of course then the result is that there's always a separation, this sense of I'm on the right, you're on the left. And, and I'm Theravada, you're Mahayana, that kind of thing. And, and it, what it, when we think like that, you know, and we, and we believe it, you notice there's a sense of, you know, being having an opposition, something different than ourselves, is is a kind of threat or something alien. <clears throat> but when we're mindful and we're aware, if we have such thoughts, such viewpoints, such opinions, that they are what they are. You know, is uh, to I'm on the right side, and you're on the wrong side. Is is I'm I'm thinking that I'm I think with my mind I'm right you're wrong. One of the problems in the holy life in any religion is is righteous views because we we try we know what's right through through conditioning. And what's wrong, when we grasp the viewpoints and we're not mindful, we're not aware of the grasping. So we tend to take very righteous positions about my religion is the right one and anyone that doesn't agree is wrong. <clears throat> so this is this leads to religious bigotry and, and uh, an ability to understand or comprehend anything other than your particular narrow viewpoint, your particular uh, position that you take. <clears throat> so I call that righteous view, because maybe it is, maybe somebody's religion is better than mine, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I've, this is what I've used. This is what I've done and devoted my life to, and and uh, it, and a good result from it. I don't, you know, it's I don't have any doubts or problems with, with especially because it's through this Theravada school that I've developed. It's not always you like everything within the tradition or you agree with everything. But even one's disagreements is still are still conditioned phenomena. Now we oftentimes, you know, righteous view comes from uh, we should keep the five precepts. If you're a good Buddhist, you keep the five precepts. You give dana. And, and then you should meditate. So it's all this sense of you as an individual should develop dana uh, sila bhavana. Now this is a sequence I found quite, you know, it's simple enough, three 
three stages, Donna, Sila, Bhavana, <clears throat> and they, uh, you know, there's a, you reflect on Donna as, uh, as an encouragement rather than a command. So Donna, in, in, according to uh, the traditional Theravada scripture, is free will offerings, you know, it's not forced. You're not intimidating people into to offering things or, or being generous, you're encouraging. So dana is a kind of foundation for Buddhist practice because it's, it helps to deal with selfishness, wanting to, to keep our things for ourselves, wanting to hoard up wealth and <clears throat> conditions just for one's own. And dana is, is like generosity. It's, it's uh, done from the, the joy of giving, because giving, sharing what you have with others is joyful. And that you can find out, you know, don't believe me, but observe, like, when, when you give food to, to the Sangha, there's a sense of, of giving something that you've, you've made or purchased to somebody else that you respect. What is the, what is the result of giving like that? Do you notice when you, the lay community that is so generous here? Are you aware of the, 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 the result of of free will offerings. If they want something back, then then the joy dies. You know, if you're doing it to get something in return. So that's why true dana is, is the act of free will giving, giving because it's to to the sangha, to the poor, whatever, to charities. <clears throat> And, and and when when I see that in myself, the act of giving, a sense of joy arises. I witness that. And that's one of the factors of enlightenment. You know, is joy is 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 a part of the human life experience. And what brings joy into so we're aware of it. Sometimes we experience it without fully appreciating or reflecting on it, observing it. Knowing what in life brings joy and what doesn't, like just thinking of myself, selfishness, there's no joy in that. When I start thinking of my my myself and above everyone else, then there's something very unpleasant, kind of a sense of being smothered in, in selfishness. It's not a joyful aramana. So the Buddha placed dana as a foundation, the first step, because even if you can't keep sila, you can at least be generous. So, so it's it's not some you know some very righteous people say to be a Buddhist you have to keep the five precepts, uh, 
No, no. Even one who gives dana, you call yourself a Buddhist. <laughs> Let's not be righteous about this. <clears throat> so in, in Thailand, for example, in, which is the, the, the cultural, the convention, the cultural attitudes of Thai are very integrated with, with Theravada Buddhism. So, in, in just even the poorest villages, uh, people are generous to the Sangha when we go on Bindabhat. And they find great joy in that. And people that won't come to the monastery to give dana can give it as, as, as uh, bhikkhus walk through a village, you see, so it makes it easily available. So this is, a, this is part of a tradition, a culture that, that is integrated with, with the Theravada Buddhism. So, but to, to threaten you, say, if you don't give dana, you'll go to hell, that's not it. <laughs> what I'm saying is, Donna is done from something good in yourself, you know, a generosity that comes from you, not because you, you, if, you don't, if you aren't generous and you're selfish, you'll go to hell. Just to compl contemplate the difference, reflect on the difference, you know, so between the, the kind of reward and punishment conditioning of our culture, of our society in the West, and the 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 Theravada, according to the Pali scriptures, it's, a, it's an act of giving, of, of sharing, of, of coming forth, encouraging, rather than demanding, threatening, or, or intimidating. So then the, the second is sila, and then we've got the, this is about, sila is the next stage to maturity, where we, we begin to see the need to be responsible for what we do, what we say. Otherwise, we say, I have freedom of speech, I can say anything I want, and... Uh, I'm free to, to say anything. Um, whether you're upset by it, that's, that's your problem. <laughs> and uh, uh, I believe in, in absolute free speech is, is, is the Western view of many, many of us. But being, taking responsibility for speech is the is part of sila. It's being aware of how to use speech to to encourage, to describe, to be accurate. <clears throat> and so, and then the actions. We still, you know, we have impulses uh, of anger, want, hatred, wanting to to take revenge, wanting to hurt somebody. Um, we have sexual 
drive in the human body that has its natural energies that influence our way we react to to each other. So if we don't have take responsibility for action, then of course we just follow instinct, impulses, uh, the feeling of the moment. It com gets completely out of control. <clears throat> so the five precepts, kind of, the, is the is the standard in this tradition. So the first is to not intentionally kill anything any human being at least. With this, it's not, it's not to, for bhikkhus, we can, we're not allowed to kill anything, not even a mosquito. But um, for lay people, you know, the main emphasis is not to intentionally kill another human being. Banadibata veramani sikabadang samadhiyami. So that that is something you know. That just think if if everybody in the world on the planet at this time took the just took the first precept, that would be the end of war. And I'm not talking about not taking life of fish and birds and cows and pigs, but just. The, Take the vow, Banadi Bata. Everybody <laughs> took that precept. That would be the end of war. <clears throat> but you know, at a peace conference, there's nothing that, that nobody takes the first precept. <laughs> They're all talking about peace, how nice it would be, and why we should end war. But, but in the first precept of the five, it's a clear statement, not to, uh, with intention. Sometimes, you know, we're responsible for the death of somebody else. Not with, it's not our intention. <clears throat> and who knows the intention, you know? What is it that knows? Sometimes we feel like killing. At least I have. <laughs> and uh, it's not... <laughs> Not something because of the first precept, I never do it. <laughs> but it is a sankara, just like everything else. And uh, you know, if one is, is is developing, say, bhavana, then you begin even even desire to kill somebody is seen in terms of sankara. You can still feel that. The perception might arise, but the knowingness, sati sampatanya, knows it. It is what it is, and it's non-personal. It's anatta. Whereas a person, as a bhikkhu, as a Buddhist monk, uh, you know, my I would tend to feel guilty about having such a, a, a feeling of wanting to kill somebody after fifty years of meditation. The personality would create guilt because it's personal. Where the wisdom, the panya, knows it is sankara arising, ceasing. And it's something you, you don't do, you know, you don't act on it. 
So this is a panya knows sankhara. The personality doesn't. It, it's judgmental. It's righteous. It's moralistic. <clears throat> it uh, you know it it makes you feel guilty because not all your thoughts are good or pure. The personality does that because it's based on avicca, on conditioning, and the conditioning is 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 about is through the thinking process, through perception and thinking. This is right. This is wrong. This is good. This is bad. It's not about that. Right and wrong, good or bad, are are uh, sankharas, conditions. It's about grasping what absolute right, absolute wrong, absolute good, absolute bad. <clears throat> so this is like investigating the reality of being human is, is bhavana or meditation. So the five precepts are, are, you know, like in the Vinaya, the monastic Vinaya, we're not allowed to give the precepts unless asked, you know. So we can't go standing on the street corners in London uh, kind of threatening people with the fires of hell if they don't keep the five precepts or even trying to convince them. So the ideal, you know, the ideal of the samana is, is harmlessness and conduct in a way that arouses faith or interest rather than a righteous, taking a righteous stand and position in telling people through, through the thinking mind, through the views and opinions, through righteous views, what they should or shouldn't do. The same with Adina uh, Dana, not to take things that have not been given. We all and covet or envy or see things that we want, that we might take. But the, the precept to refrain from that, not to feel guilty about the, the, the feeling of wanting to take, steal something or take something that hasn't been given, with bhavana, with wisdom, then you're aware of it. But if you're a very righteous, moral, morally righteous person, then you can feel you've sinned because you've coveted your neighbor's apples. <laughs> Some people really feel, lay a heavy trip on themselves and feeling guilty because they they don't always think in the, the highest forms. And that what why is that? The thinking process is its purpose is to discriminate. This is good, this is bad. Right and wrong, this is big, this is small. That's its function. So it divides, you know, and it's a sankara. So it comes. You can have ideals of unity and oneness and universal love. You know, those are through thinking. You can create ideals 
of unconditioned universal love and peace and harmony. But then if you grasp that, then your life is, you know, you're going to find out that life isn't like that. It's not about, it's not, not about this high state of perfection that you can create with your thinking mind. It's not the best, but it's the way it is, the ordinary. Right now, how do you feel? Do you feel high or low or ordinary or whatever? It's like this. So this is a observing puto knows Dhammo, the Buddha knows Dhamma. And the third precept uh, for lay people, Kame Sumitra, to refrain from misuse of obsessive, selfish, sexual activities. To take responsibility for our sexual, for the sexuality of the body. <clears throat> and that takes sati sampachanya too, to, to reflect that this, this body we have is a, is a sexual form. We're here because of that. And, <clears throat> you know, even enlightened people, even enlightened Arahants still have sexual, the potential sexual drive, but known only known as it is, is is conditioned phenomena arising, ceasing. Not as the body's not self, and the the uh, feelings are not self. So these energies, sexual energies, are you know they they arise and they pass away. So. When we see them from the personal view, then we get into to righteous views about sexual behavior. But when we see it from banya level, from discernment, then we see it as just sankara arising and and allow and not following it, not grasping it and it ceases. So there's a knowing of the presence and absence, the, the birth and death of, of a sexual arousal is like this. The monastic form, the summative form, the celibate form, so that's our guideline to refrain from any intentional sexual activity. So that's the, the form we've chosen, the Samana form. And we've asked that. We've asked to, you know, to be ordained. You have to ask three times. You can't just ordain yourself. Then the fourth is right speech is uh, learning to, as I've talked before, said before, learning to use speech skillfully for communication, 
for encouragement, for information. In, time, in the right time, in the right place. So it's, you know, you reflect on who you're with, the, the time, the place you're in. And that takes sati sampachanya, doesn't it, to, to, to be aware of the atmosphere, the, the people you're talking to and the situation you're in for right speech. <clears throat> And the last precept is uh, about not taking intoxicants and addictive drugs. And many people find that one difficult. The third and the fifth precept are the most in Thailand are the most difficult. So <laughs> they. And, and you're living in a culture where, uh, you know, drinking alcohol with dinner and things doesn't mean, you know, people still consume alcohol and aren't alcoholics. <clears throat> but it's a guideline, not a, it doesn't mean you'll go to hell if you, if you take, if you drink alcohol. These are suggestions, they're precepts, they're not commandments. They're not orders from above, you know, saying, thou shalt not kill. I take the precept to refrain from intentionally killing any human being. So I'm just pointing out the difference between saying a commandment given from authority from above a demand or a command, and and the the precepts within the within this tradition are <clears throat> asked for. They're not ordered or commanded, but they're taken and reflected upon. So you've got dana sila as a basis for a good life. Just as if you're not interested in bhavana or meditation, it, it's will make one's lay life, ordinary life, at least a pleasant experience. You know, you, if you keep the five precepts, you can, you know, you can uh, you develop a sense of trust with, with your family, trust you, your, where your working place, the people you work with, respect and trust you. So many times, and you know, people can't aren't aren't ready for bhavana or don't see the point of it. But <clears throat> and it is important dana sila as a as a foundation for that. For that. Then bhavana meditation, cultivation of mindfulness. So this. This awareness, sati sampachanya, sati panya, is 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 bhavana, is real bhavana, is development, cultivating the path, because the path is sati sampachanya panya. 
as we develop through our reflection on the Four Noble Truths, it leads to that, that insight through Samaditi, Samasangapo, the Eightfold Path. You begin to, to know this, that, that the, the, the path, the Eightfold Path is, is the simple reality of mindfulness and non-grasping of conditioned phenomena. Mindfulness and wisdom. Now we all, <clears throat> uh, no matter how successful we are in meditation, uh, or how much insight we've had, we still experience vipaka kamma, you know, so you, one still has memories of the past and you, you don't become a kind of angel floating up in the clouds. So, and so, uh, you know, you still, there's still this, this uh, vipaka or the resultant karma of being born and being conditioned and doing things out of ignorance, speaking out of ignorance. So we, we do the arising of, of vipaka kama in situations is, is seen in the path from, through sati sampachanya, sankhara. So one time somebody asked Lung Pacha if if he still got angry, and he said, oh yeah, anger arises, but I don't grasp it. So that, that leaves a strong impression, you know, of, that even in a very wise, enlightened monk like Lumpur Cha, the vipaka of being human is still the, the anger, conditions for anger come together, this is what you feel. But the mindful being is aware of anger as for what it is. What is, if you feel angry right now, if you start thinking it's yours or somebody made you angry and they shouldn't have, and then you, you're getting caught up in thinking about it and grasping it and making it into a personal problem, or you're trying to get rid of it, you're trying to suppress it, but if you're just aware that it is what it is, it, it ceases. It's a sankhara. So then the refrain, sape sankhara anicca, sape dhamma anatta, all conditions are impermanent. All dhamma is reality, is not a personal. To be non-personal is to be mindful. A personality can't be mindful. Like when you when you try to be someone who's mindful, you're not mindful. <clears throat> so I try to be mindful all the time, and then I told you the story about the umbrella. <laughs> that was. 
tomato trying to be mindful on Bindabat, and I got concentrated. That was the problem. I got so concentrated that I forgot all about the umbrella on the way back. <laughs> so when you know, there's, it's a truism, isn't it? You should be mindful. I can say that everybody should be mindful. <clears throat> that's good. That's right. They should be. But this is the way it is, and so to know to to say you should be mindful is is still a thought, isn't it? It's still you create that I'm someone who should be mindful. Where if you're mindful, then you're aware of thinking that thought. If such a thought arises, the knowing it is what it is at this present time. Let it be what it is, and it, its nature is to cease. Now, dealing with guilt, there's a lot of, uh, in, in the Western world, you don't find this such a, a big problem in Thailand or in uh, Asian societies, but in, uh, in the West, especially influenced by Judaism and Christianity, uh, very righteous forms of teaching. And, uh, and also, uh, so like here in Britain, it's very, it has high principles, high standards set for us, you know, what a, a good woman is, a good man is, a good husband, a good wife, uh, obedient children, <clears throat> how things should be. Things should be fair. We all want fairness and justice. We want to be respected and <clears throat> appreciated and not despised and rejected. I mean, these are, but then in life, as we experience it, isn't always fair, isn't always what we want, isn't always right. But even when it's not right and it's unfair, it's still the path of the, the Eightfold Path is still present here and now. Whether people respect you or don't respect you doesn't, isn't necessary for the Eightfold Path. But if we, <clears throat> if we create a, the personality, the Sakya Ditti, and and grasp that, then we, then we depend on being appreciated for a sense of stability and being recognized and being loved and and one and we we want to uh, we need we become needy like that needing the something from outside affirming the sense of our self worth. Where in awakened awareness, we don't need that to get self, uh, to get that kind of appreciation externally. When it's offered, then it's appreciated, but it's not needed.
and when you have very high principles and high standards and high moral values, that those are, remember, they're high, they're perfect. But life is like this, it's not about high, it's about ordinary, it's about breathing and feeling and 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 emotions of that arise and cease. This is a constant experience of of sensory impingement when a baby's born from birth to death. It's being impinged on through the senses. It's being conditioned by the, the family, by the society. And when we have when we're brought up with high standards and high principles, that's good, you know, in terms of right and good. But it's not liberating because that we can become very guilt ridden because we we can't live up to these high principles or standards that we're attached to. So the people have obsessions with guilt, not feeling worthy or good enough or dirty or whatever because they they are they they hold a standard of perfection that's that maybe they can't live up to so people you know have you know i've noticed over the years how many people have guilt over not that they've done anything that bad or anything all wrong it's just that this sense of not being good enough not being kind enough, not being aware enough. Now all this is, is you know, seen in terms of sankhara with, when, we're, when we're cultivating the path, the path of awareness, sati and panya. So guilt is not really an obstruction <clears throat> to the path, if you're willing to be the knower of guilt rather than the owner. So the feeling of I'm, I shouldn't have said that or I, I did something in the past that's not very good. I wonder what kind of karmic result I'll have from that. The awareness knows that, it's just the self-creation, the thinking mind. It is, it is sankara, that's, that's the way it is now. <clears throat> and when they arise, they're like this, and when they cease, then there's no sankara. There's still awareness. There's still panya. So discernment is, uh, I use this word for Banya for wisdom, but it's knowing sankaras. It's and wisdom in this sense of panya is not judgmental. It's not saying you 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 haven't kept the five precepts, or there's some accountant up in the sky that's keeping track <laughs> of how many precepts you've broken over the years. <laughs> I mean, this this is is uh, the thinking mind again, creating 
this as a, you know, so, because you you haven't always been absolutely perfect, then you've got to be punished for it in some way. This is this is what self-created. This is a thinking mind, and what is it that knows? The thinking mind is the thinking mind, is the sati sampatanya, sati panya. Now the metta bhavana, practice of loving kindness. <clears throat> It can be just the, the, the thinking of kind thoughts and goodwill for everybody as the formula we use in the, the standard formula of reflections. And, uh, but that's still thinking, isn't it? That's still being attached to, to uh, very generous, kind, forgiving, wishes for all sentient beings. Well, that's, that's beautiful. <clears throat> but in Bhavana, it isn't about, it isn't through thinking, but through, through recognition of the path, that metta really, uh, that there's real metta, loving kindness. Because the very nature of consciousness, pure consciousness, is kind. So you might call it unconditioned love in the English terms, or universal love. And what is love? You know, that's a term that's used, uh, you know, for almost anything. It's a very popular word, love songs and so forth, romance. And uh, it's very, you know, it creates a, a certain, when we talk about love, it, we feel a certain feeling arise in your mind. And so we, uh, we you know, we say we love fish and chips. But that's not metta, is it? <laughs> so it really, really means you like fish and chips and want to eat them. But in, and then in Christianity they call it unconditioned love or Christian love. And what is that? You know, in terms of it's a, it's an ideal. Say this, the statement is high, isn't it? It's beautiful. To feel this sense of of love as as a very foundation of life, as being all around us, makes us feel inspired and and happy to know that we're not in some cold-hearted survival of the fittest universe, as it might seem at times. But universal love, unconditioned love, or metta, 
in Buddhist terms, is a Pali word. And, and it's the foundation for pavana. It's learning to accept things as they are. So sati sampatanya and banya operate. You can call it metta pavana if you want. But it's like even the, the unpleasant conditions that arise in your consciousness, if you have metta toward them, that what is, doesn't mean you like them or, or, or pouring sweet phrases at them, but you are accepting them for what they are. There's no kind of judgment in it. It's, it is like this, feeling angry and, or feeling hatred is like this. Trust that awareness and that knowing it is the way it is. So that is cultivation, that is real bhavana. In this tradition too, there's a lot of, you know, because it is an old one, there's a lot of opinions about it. And uh, there's a strong sense of attainment in it. Like the the attaining samadhi, attaining jhanas, attaining the four stages, attaining arahantship. This this word attaining is is a very common word that we use to attain something, get something you don't have, something you don't have that you you can get hold of. But in bhavana, there's no attainment. It's merely letting go and non-attachment. You don't you don't get anything new or attain any state you conceive of. You let go. You or you don't grasp. So it's it's the realization of non-grasping is like this. We still have to live within the <clears throat> forms that we're born into, the human body, as it gets old, gets sick and, and eventually dies. And these are, these are all conditions that, that are on the, especially in my age, on the downhill, fading out side of the spectrum. When you're over 80, you're really aware of that, how old you are. When I was 70, I could still think I wasn't old. <laughs> so right now, looking at you, you're all, I can't distinguish features very well anymore. I have this macular degeneration. And yesterday they, they gave me another injection. I take this syringe and the long needle and punch it into your eyeball. <laughs> I've had this done five times now. 
And uh, it sounds worse. Actually, it's not all that bad. <laughs> so in this, these, these reflections, they're just a reflection on Dana Sila Pawana this evening or on Bhavana, on meditation, <clears throat> on the path, on the Eightfold Path. And you think of it eightfold and you have to do the first noble truth and the three aspects, and the second noble truth with the three aspects, and the third. It makes it sound all complicated because <clears throat> that's the thinking process. You can only think one word at a moment. You can't think four noble truths in one moment. You've got to think four noble truths in a first, second, third, fourth. <laughs> you can't think one to four in one moment. And that's the limitation of the thinking process. Thinking gives us a sense of time, of past and future. <clears throat> So when we depend on describing and defining and thinking and rationalizing, we're in that realm of time automatically, unless we're aware. We thinking with awareness, then it's a useful tool, a convention that that we that can be used skillfully, rather than just becoming victims of th of thinking habits or obsessive. The uh, thoughts. So I hope this retreat hasn't made it seem more difficult or complicated, because really the path is ultimate simplicity, and um, <clears throat> and in order to realize that, to know that. We have to let go of the complications, which are the identities with the body, the the um, conditioning that we've acquired through culture, through social, religious conditioning, through our attachment and reliance on <clears throat> rational thinking or thinking of any sort, <clears throat> through through just reacting to the, the, the instincts, the survival, procreative instincts of the human form and so forth. The, the animal conditions, you know, we're, we're mammals, we've got animals' bodies, so we still, you know, the procreation, uh, raga dhanha and patiga dhanha is, uh, you know, like anger is a kind of survival mechanism in, in the mammalian species. So after you recognize the path, realize the, the, the stream entry, there's still sexual desire and aversion. Because these come with the species. They're not, they're not Sakya Ditti, Sila Bhattabharamasa, which he keeps anymore. They're not the first three fetters. But they're part of the the, the nature of the species, the human species, the mammalian species. <clears throat> <clears throat> 
they still operate, but we're seeing them in terms of, of that they arise and cease. When they're present, they're like this. When they're, they, and if we have this sati-sampatanya, awareness, patient endurance, metta for them, then they cease. We're aware of their absence. So the aware being is aware of desire and non-desire. It discerns, it knows the difference. What does is, what is wisdom discern? It knows non-desires like this. Desire is like this. And what is it that knows? We call it bhuto, or is it just pure? one universal knowing that is with us all the time, that isn't something we acquire or we need to get or anyone lacks. It's through bhavana that we begin to realize the, the, the way to, to not be deluded anymore, not create suffering unnecessary suffering in our lives. So I offer this for your reflection. Dhammayang dhammo vadigata sadhakarang dhammasi